If you would, in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's hard to believe uh, Resurrection Sunday slash Easter Sunday is already behind us. I know that because I went to Kroger this week. And uh, as I went in, there was this big shelf, and it said, had all the Easter stuff put on it. All the candy and the baskets and that green grass stuff and all of that. I, I, bought, I bought 900 bags of that green grass and uh, scraping my yard down to dirt, and I'm just going to put the Easter green grass out there, and I don't have to cut it or do anything. But on, the, on, the, on, this, uh, on this shelf was this banner, and it said this, all Easter supplies, 75% off. So I bought all of next year's Easter candy. I don't think. But uh, numbers of ways that we know it's passed. I saw a church sign this week that for today, the invitation to their church said this, pretend it's Easter. He's still alive. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good as well. I want us in Luke chapter 24 today, we're going to look at, and I'm sort of a little issue with naming what we're looking at this morning, is leaving Easter behind somewhat, and also the subject of does Jesus care? Imagine with me, try to get in your mind and in your heart the condition of the disciples of Christ. Now when I say that, let's understand there are more than the 11 disciples right now. There are a number of people who were believers. There were a number of people that followed. They had just seen what history records as the most gruesome crucifixion that has ever been. More hatred than has ever been. All of their hopes are gone. Because in Jesus, they had for so long hoped. They had expectation of Him. Oh, he is going to be the one that comes and gives us liberty and freedom. He's going to deliver us. He's going to be the Messiah. They, like many in the world today, they were looking for the wrong Messiah. They were looking for the wrong Jesus. They wanted Jesus to fit into what they thought and what they believed. They weren't looking for the Jesus that the Old Testament had promised. And so now the resurrection has come. Jesus has been buried. He has risen. And now we find what's happening yet that same day. Would you stand for a moment out of respect for God's Word and let's read in Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 13 and throughout our time we'll read through verse 35 but we'll read 13 through 18 as we're standing and behold two of them the same day to went to the uh, that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about three score three score furlongs and they talked together of all the things which had happened and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one with another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known these things which are come to pass there in these days? They are rehearsing as they're traveling 
what had happened in this prior week. Jesus steps into the conversation asking, what are you talking about? And they think, baby, he is crazy. How could anybody not know what's happened? And I want to pick up on their emotion this morning. Easter is over, now what? Let's pray together. Father, I don't deserve to be your servant this morning. And I thank you for the privilege that you have given me above what I deserve. Thank you for your amazing grace. I pray that you would help my mind to be focused on that which you have laid upon my heart through the reading and the study of your word. And may these moments that are ahead, may we all be focused. May we be sharp in our thinking. May your word be rightly divided. And then may it be rightly applied to each one of us. Teach us, we pray, from your word. I pray that you would forgive me of any sin and allow the Holy Spirit to fill me that you might speak through me. And I'll thank you and give you all honor and glory for anything that you do in our lives. For it will be of you and I can do nothing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, if you would, please. And these men, these people, and I will say people and follow up on that in just a little while, these two of the disciples, they are filled with what you and I are filled with today. Whether you're here this morning and you know Christ as personal Savior, or you do not know Christ as personal Savior, the truth and the reality of every one of us in this room this morning is we have in us the natural man, the natural thinking. These have been some long hours and long days. For the week prior to this, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and was honored. Palm leaves were put down on the ground before him as he rode into the city and throngs of people cried, Hosanna. And then we follow that all the way through what happened the last week of his earthly ministry and through the kangaroo court and the false witnesses and false testimonies and all of the brutality, the physical things that happened to Christ. And then his death on the cross. And on looking were the disciples. On looking were a number of people. But this morning we focus on the disciples that were there. They're not being beaten, and they're not being spit upon, and they're not being, their backs are not being striped. They're not being crowned with thorns. But this is having a toll upon them. I suggest to you that there are three basic things that they have that are involved in our lives as well. The natural man has these three things, and Oftentimes, we don't want to admit them. Would you listen to these and see if any of them may be involved in our lives and our thinking? These people, first of all, I suggest to you that they are exhausted. You know, you can be exhausted in a number of different ways. You can be physically exhausted from work and labor. You can be physically exhausted. You can be emotionally exhausted. 
I talked with my mother for a few moments yesterday, last night, and she had been in to see my uncle who is on ventilator now. Last night, some of the last things that she said, we, we got off the road, I, I, I can't help your dad drive, and he was tired, and we just had to stop. They're tired is not from running a race. They're tired last night was not from physical things. They were emotionally tired. Mom began to cry. And she said, I couldn't talk to him. My dad said of my uncle, he has taken on the physical characteristics. He looks, he appears dead. Some of my mom's last words to me last night, and I could tell she was tired in her voice. She said, your dad leaned over his bed and talked to him in his ear. But I couldn't. Because I knew all I would do is cry. Let me tell you, last night when I talked to her, she was emotionally exhausted. That's a long drive. There's some physical exhaustion that is there. These people feel exhausted. Have you ever said this? I'm just too tired. I can't go on any further. I am so overloaded. That's where these people are. They are physically, they have not been able to sleep. Their emotion is exhausted. Second thing I want you to understand that they feel, and you and I share this at times, they're empty. We do everything we belong to and get involved in just about everything we can. We spend our lives but we feel an overall emptiness. And there are some in this room this morning that in your soul, in your heart of hearts this morning, there's an emptiness. These people had watched. These people had followed Christ. These people had walked with Him, talked with Him. They had observed the miracles that He performed. They had such high hopes of what he would do in his ministry. And then when he breathed his last breaths on the cross, they knew he wasn't going to set them free from Rome. They knew he was not the Messiah that they thought he was going to be. He didn't fit into what they had expected. So suddenly what they hoped, all of their hopes were vanished and now they're exhausted and they're empty. And the third feeling, they're trapped. They're trapped. I dare say that there's some in this room this morning who in your life you feel as if you're trapped. There may be those here this morning that are trapped with bitterness or resentment. There may be people here today that are trapped by expectations of others on you and you feel like you can never meet those expectations there may be somebody who's trapped in a relationship there may be somebody here this morning that is entrapped with death or debt but today we find these people are just like that and they're 
conversing as they go. Wouldn't you like to hear what all they're talking about? We know this. We don't know their words. We just know this. The Bible tells us that they were talking about the things that had happened as they're walking along. Three feelings. I want you to remember them. Exhaustion, emptiness, and enslavement. Now they're moving from the city of Jerusalem. And they're going to a place called Emmaus. Jerusalem is a place of promise. Jerusalem is a place of purpose. Jerusalem had been a place of the presence of God. They are leaving all of that. And they're going to the place of Emmaus, and Emmaus itself means this, the place of obscurity. Do you remember when Peter, a little bit later on, when Peter... Uh, and the disciples are gathered together. Remember what he said? I brought this up to you a couple weeks ago. He said, listen, I go fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I've seen. I'm going back to what I've done. What I'm, uh, what's common to me, I'm going back to that. Well, these people have left the gathering of the disciples. There's not 11 and there's not a great number, but there are two of them. I want you to get the sense of this picture if you would please let's look back down at scripture in verse number 19 and let's read a little while if we may please and he said unto them what thing and they said unto him now notice the block of things that they tell jesus they don't know who he is they have not recognized him and so when he asked them what listen to their response how they how they compact the weak into this paragraph of Scripture. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed. You might want to mark that word was. Which was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priest and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that if it had, it had been uh, he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women of the company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. When they had found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels, which had said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then said he unto them, Jesus now speaking, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now what is Jesus going to say now? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it. And gave it to them. I think it's interesting that here again, he took it, he broke it, he blessed it, 
and the lights come on. Something happens, and now they're understanding who he was. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Now these two disciples, not of the original twelve, that once followed Christ. Now uh, we know very little about them. It just says two disciples. We do know that the scripture says that one of them went by the name of Cleopas. While the other disciple, there's no real name or, or description. All right, now watch this. What am I doing over here? Okay, I'm thinking. You say you're going to play the piano. No. Here's a thought. Who are these two? Uh, there are theologians that debate over who the two of them were. Quite truthfully to me, it's not a great difference in who they were. It's what happened with them. But I want to give you a thought, and I'll read it from Scripture. From the book of John, chapter 19, and verse number 25, it said, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. My thought is this. It's very possible that this is a married couple. And they're returning back. I think the fact that we don't know for sure who it is, it gives us an opportunity for us to imagine we're the second of the disciples. We're the unnamed one. Something different and something unexpected occurred and they didn't have a clue as to why and what. And they're on the Emmaus Road and remember their emotion, they're exhausted, they're empty and they're enslaved. They remember, and they rehearse before Jesus what had happened. Their mood had been they were hoping, and they did have expectation. Now all of that is erased, and so as the two went, and I think that probably this was a couple returning. Much like Peter had said, I'm going to go back. We're going to go back to where we came from. We have followed Jesus all over this place. We've listened to him teach, but he's gone now. And to such despair and confusion, Jesus comes to speak to them. The Bible says that their eyes were holden, and that simply means that they did not recognize And you know, a lot of times, truth is hard for us to recognize because of our partiality, because of our prejudice. Truth is hard to recognize because of our exhaustion. It's hard to recognize because we feel enslaved and entrapped. And they don't recognize who Jesus is for a good while. 
Now, Emmaus, how far, how long were they with Jesus? As best we can tell, and we do not know the exact site of Emmaus, but as best we can tell, it would have been about a seven-mile journey. And on the map, it can vary where its exact footing is. But we know that from what our text verses say about the furlongs, we know that it is about seven miles. Now, how long would that take to walk? A person walking at a brisk walk will walk about three to 3.1 miles an hour. Now, that's a brisk walk. A conversation walk may be a little slower. So we recognize this, that the walk is from two to three hours. And Jesus, what is he talking about? We know what they're talking about, but Jesus isn't talking about the last week. Jesus is talking about the prophecy. And he goes back, and the Bible says that he started with Moses. You didn't get it when I was here at first. You didn't get it on the other side of the resurrection. You didn't understand it then. And so I'm going back to Moses and bring you forward to open the eyes of their understanding. And that's what Jesus was doing. That's what he was speaking of. It reveals something to them and to us today, just how much Jesus cares. When you're at the place that we've looked at with these three natural man issues today we find ourselves asking this question does Jesus really care now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but I'm going to ask you to think have you ever asked that question have you ever put a statement with that if Jesus really cared this diagnosis would not have happened. If Jesus really cared, this event would not have come to pass. But I want you to understand something this morning. There's not one issue or area of our life that Jesus does not care. How do I know? From here out, there'll be just a few things that I want to give you this morning. How do I know Jesus cares? Let's evaluate it off of this text scripture this morning. How do I know, preacher, that Jesus cares? Number one, because he knows where you're going. He knows where you're going. Jesus knew exactly in which direction these two people were walking. He knew exactly which road and where they were going to be on that road. And let me say this, he knows exactly where you and I are today. He had no problem finding them on the road to Emmaus. Why? Because he knew where they were. He knew where the natural man had them. He knew the despondency of lost hope. He knew that the natural man says, let's just move back into what we know. And that is a biblical thing if you follow it through. Do you remember the children of Israel when they would complain with Moses? you remember what they said and how long they had been in Egypt? And they always threw it in Moses' face. 
Would to God that you had left us in Egypt. And at times they said, we want to go back to Egypt. Isn't it an amazing thing how when you remove yourself from certain days and the further you get from them, they become the good old days? Just remember where Israel was when they were in Egypt. They are under persecution. They are under enslavement, and Pharaoh had turned the heat up on them. Their labor was exhausting, to say the least. Oh, we want to go back to that. There's some of you here in this room this morning that you, you lived out the better part of your life, the good part, the strongest part of your life in what you call the good old days. My father will occasionally talk to me about the good old days. He enjoys it when we do get a chance. A couple times we've been to Kentucky. and he, Mom doesn't like to drive around back through there, but Dad wants to take me everywhere he was when he was a little kid. And I enjoy it. Because he'll say things to me like this. Oh, and we, Sonia was with him on one of them. And he, he started, slow down, slow down, slow down. So I slowed down. There was a little house over the hill, just a little small house. He said, no, they've redone that house since we lived there. He said, I used to have to go out in the backyard. We didn't have any indoor water. Those were the days. Now I want to tell you something. He's nuts. <laughs> I don't want to go in the backyard. And, and, and quite truthfully, in the middle of the night, I don't want to have to get up and go to the outhouse. Truthfully, this summer, I don't want to drive a car with no air conditioning. You call them the good old days if you want to. But I like the now and now. The natural man. So here, he knew exactly what man's tendency is. Go back to where you were. Go back to what was common to you. Go back to what you were accustomed to. Please understand this. Jesus knows exactly where you are this morning. He has no hard time, no difficult time finding you. Notice that he didn't wait for them to come to him. But he went to them. He knows and cares about what's happening in our lives today. Regardless of what that may be. And literally Jesus goes out of his way. And he cares and loves us so much that he pursues us down roads that oftentimes will lead to heartache and pain and hurt and confusion. But he comes down those roads after us to turn us around. He didn't meet them on the road just to walk with them. We'll get to what happened after they spoke with him a little later. Number one, he knows where you're going. Number two, he knows what's on your heart. I want you to notice what they say when they were questioned whether or not, whether or not he knew. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him saying, Art thou only a stranger? Would you get, I'd like to hear the dialect. I'd like to hear the tone of voice that Cleopas uses. You're not from around here, are you? It would sort of be like us, someone walking up to us and saying, 
What was it that happened on 9-11? Listen, you had to be pretty deep somewhere not to know what day that was. They say that news of what had happened went around this globe in less than 20 minutes. Are you a stranger here? How is it that you've been in Jerusalem this week and you, don't, you, you haven't heard? I want you to realize this, that Jesus doesn't refute that. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I'm a stranger. I'm not from around here. He doesn't refute it. He doesn't agree with it. But he does let them speak. And they began to rehearse the week to him. They're telling him what the last week of his life. Jesus knew, but he was drawing out of them. Okay, what have you seen? What have you heard? How do you feel about these things? He's finding whether for them his death had been in vain or had he accomplished something. Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than even a good man, and he is allowing them to open up. He doesn't say, he doesn't stop them and say, oh no, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Believe me, I know what you're talking about now. You know, you can learn a lot just by letting somebody talk. If you just listen, it's amazing what people will say. It's amazing what truths and realities come out. I learned a little bit of that from my dad. My dad has a tendency, he should have been a poker player. He can bluff better than anybody you've ever seen. Greg Curry grew up in our house. We three amigos got in a lot of trouble. And I have seen my dad say one thing to Greg. And Greg would tell everything he knew. All Christ is doing here is trying to find out what's on their heart. He knows what's on their heart, but he wants to hear, do they know? And so he allows them to rehearse the whole week. He knew what had happened above what they did. But he allows them to rehearse that. Now there are three things that we can look at. There are three options at this point with Jesus. And Jesus is what men have debated for years. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And you have to come to the conclusion of who he is to you. Jesus didn't give any other options when he called himself by God's holy name. Notice verse 19, And he said unto them, What things? Tell me what you've seen. Tell me what you've heard. Rehearse for me. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus, and they continued on. That one thing I told you to mark as we came through there. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet. Jesus knew at that moment that their thinking was not clear. He knew at that moment that they had not understood who he was. It amazes me that the angels, when the angels of God are presenting the fact that Jesus 
has arisen from the grave, they said this, He is not here, He is risen, just as He said. You should know it. Well, these were held into the old ritual and tradition of the Old Testament. Fine. What did Isaiah say? He prophesied down to the very year that Jesus would come. Should this have shocked them? Should they not have been prepared for who was coming? But Jesus is saying, I understand and I know and I know their hearts and he knows your heart, he knows my heart. But he wants us to know, do you know? And listen, if you're here this morning and you're without Christ, the first thing that you have to do in order to come to Christ is realize who you are. And Jesus wants them to, he understands who they are, what they are, what they're thinking, what's on their heart. He knows what's on my heart. He knows what's on your heart. But he has to know, do you understand where you are and who you are? So we find the fact that Jesus is trying to see and and help them see what is on their hearts. He didn't use philosophical arguments. I want you to notice what he did. He went back to the scriptures. I encourage you this. Don't Don't be Christians who are tied up with theological debate. Just simply go back. And every time I come over here with a thought, you'll notice, and I try my best to do this, if I come over here and say this is a thought, I don't have scriptural 100% pure proof for this, but when I give you a thought, I say, now here's what my thought is based on, and like I did this morning, I gave you a verse from John chapter 19. That's the basis of my thought. Now when Jesus is speaking with them, he doesn't argue culture he doesn't argue change he doesn't argue the dynamics of religion he goes back to Moses in the Old Testament they understood that and he brings them forward may the scripture always be our sword notice what Paul, how Paul describes God's word for the word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Then said he in verse number 25, O fools, don't you like a conversation with someone who addresses you that way? They have rehearsed the week, And now he says to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You're claiming to be religious according to the Old Testament and to the law, but you're telling me you don't even understand what the prophets of old said. If you look at what the prophets of old said, verse 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Many doubt God's love. Many doubt God's concern. Many doubt God's plan. I want you to look at number three, if you would, with me. Does Jesus care? Yes. And he knows how to renew our hope. He knows how to renew our hope. We live in a society, I think, that have 
forgotten what hope looks like. I don't think it's the fact that we've forgotten the word. I think we have redefined somewhat the word. We've reversed its meaning. Let me try to illustrate that if I can. If I tell you that I have decided to preach for 10 minutes today, and you would say, I hope so. But you know what? You're going to doubt that. Why? History. Yeah, I'm going to preach 10 minutes today. Yeah, I hope so. But you're saying it with a doubtful method. If you get out here on the Creighton Road today and you're going down toward 295 and the other church traffic is clear and you have a clear shot and you hit 65 miles an hour going down Creighton Road knowing the speed limit is 45 you hope you hope you don't get stopped now that's not doubt that's wishful thinking biblical hope is different from doubt and biblical hope is different from a wishful thought when the Bible speaks of hope it's talking about hope that is confident expectation hope is the basis of our faith and Hebrews tells us this faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen their hope had been wishful thinking they hoped that Jesus would assume power over the Romans. They hoped Jesus would help their economical situations. What we see is that when they lost hope, now listen carefully, when they lost hope, they lost their vision of God. They lost their vision of God hoping in false hope because they stopped hoping in the Lord. They were hoping they were hoping it would be done their way. They were hoping that it would be done in their time. Isn't that like us? We pray and the Bible tells us that if we pray God will answer us and I I've, I've held my hands up to you and said this God will answer us. It may not be the answer you want, but God will answer us. It's just like us. Our eyes and our hopes become wishful thinking rather than an expectation. I think one of the downfalls that you and I have today is we expect so little from God. We expect so little from God. We pray and ask something of Him, but we ask with wavering faith. You say, well, God didn't answer me like I thought he would. Could it be because you have doubtful hope? Wishful hope? But you don't have confident hope. Edward Moat wrote a song in 1834 which he stated, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let me tell you something. If you don't realize that we're, we're 
and we're headed for another election. And the campaigning has started. And let me burst any bubble that's here. There's not any candidate in any party in which I have any hope. There is not a government party in which I have hope in. There's not a government office in which I have hope. I, I, I have doubtful thinking. I have wishful thinking. But I don't have confident hope. The song just prior to the message this morning, it mentioned this, uncertain days. That's where we are. There's so much in the news today. I graduated high school in 1982. In 1982, I don't recall the news being feel, filled with parents murdering their children. And that's all that we've heard on the news this morning, this, this week. A family who makes a false report and the whole time they, they've murdered their child. In 1982, it wasn't called an alternate lifestyle. There's, this country has changed so much that I think that the song that said, in uncertain days, we're there. Maybe I'm the only one that's there. There's very little that I see in our culture in this generation that I even have wishful thinking of. But I want to tell you this. I'm glad that doubtful thinking can be put aside, that I'm going to preach for 10 minutes, and wishful thinking that I'm not going to get stopped when I'm going over the speed limit. Those are physical things that can all be set aside. I can have a confident hope of this. God knows me. And God cares about me. And there's nothing that I can do that changes that. Because I'm his child. I told you about the conversation in the truck the other night with Grim. Trying to figure out, do you really understand relationships? And that's the one where I said, do you, do you know who my dad is? You're too old to have a dad. That was just, that was what he, you're too old to have a dad. I said, well, do you know Pop? Yeah. That's what he calls my dad, Pop. Do you know Pop? Yeah. I said, well, he's my dad. No. And then I went to Lauren's dad, and I said, well, you, your mommy has a dad. Did you know? No, my mommy's an adult. I said, but she still has a dad. You ought to have seen me for the rest of the ride home trying to listen. And his, his understanding of age is way off. You're in your 20s to him. You're an old person. My wife took the privilege of publicly announcing I was 55 a week or so ago. Now he said, Pop, you're old. You've got two fives.
I was trying to explain to him this, and then I went, it'll eventually become a spiritual point with him. Regardless of if I'm 55 or 85, 105, I hope the Lord comes back well before then or I check out one of the two. I will always have a dad. Doesn't mean my dad's going to live forever here with me. I know that. But he will always be my dad. I could walk out of this auditorium and as one person did this week in California, I could direct my vehicle into a crowd of people and I could destroy the lives of many but he's still my dad I could fall off into horrible sin and he's still my dad you know what I figured out I'm a dad too three times on earth one time in heaven and you know what I figured out I get upset with my kids there are differences with my kids. But I always love them. There's nothing they can do that will cancel my love as a father. And that's the beauty of confident biblical hope. Jesus cares. When I fail, he cares. Now I've got to finish. What happened? He expounds to them, he breaks the bread with them, and their eyes are opened, and then they say, did not our hearts burn within us? They had just finished a seven-mile walk, maybe a little more, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and immediately they turn around and walk back. And they immediately became witnesses, as we studied in Sunday school. They immediately witnessed to the 11. This is what happened to us today. And all of this, because Easter has passed. God knows your emotion today. He knows your exhaustion today. He knows the enslavement today. He cares for you. He, he proves that he cares for us. But the need is for a confident hope, not a wishful thinking. A confident hope, not a doubtful. Because God, our God, is the God of the impossible. He can do anything He, he desires to do. And His desire is to have happy children. Are you his child today? Do you know him as personal Savior? Have you put your faith, your trust, your eternity in him? Is he your hope? Or are you hoping in yourself? You'll fail yourself. He won't. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Thank you for being a